So how many times have you heard an organization say, our mission is to exceed our customers' expectations? Do you know what that means to me? That organization has punted on strategy. The hard work is to actually do the work to set the proper expectations and meet them. Google obviously, obviously likes it when you get your brand mentioned. You don't need a link. Like if the New York Times writes about you and your brand, yeah, your rankings are probably going to go up and you don't need them. You don't need to reach out to them and get them to link to you. And if they do link to you, nothing is probably going to change because no intelligent deep learning system built by the world's best paid and smartest engineers at Google is going to reward all. Well, look, I mean, they, they got an actual link as opposed to just a brand mention. We, we should we should rank them higher. Welcome. I am your host, Dino Cattaneo, and you're listening to Authentic Leadership for Everyday People, the podcast where we investigate the connection between effective leadership and authenticity. The word authentic comes from ancient Greek. It is the composite of two words, authos, which means the self, and entos, which means inside. So authentic really means the inside self or the true self. If you're looking for inspiration and tips on how to become a better leader by being your true self, you're in the right place. This episode is going live on what here in the US is the 4th of July holiday weekend. This weekend also happens to be the first anniversary of when I announced the podcast and the title. So I decided to celebrate by releasing a special episode. Welcome to the Authentic Leadership for Everyday People Business Jargon Holiday Special. If you listen to the podcast before, you know that one question I always ask my guest is, which is the business cliche, business expression, piece of jargon that drives you crazy? That expression that makes you want to rip your hair off. When I decided to put this question in the podcast, I was looking to create a moment of lightness, maybe fun, you know, maybe a little irreverence or disrespect but I got a lot more than what I bargained for. It became very clear from the first episode that this question is actually a powerful gateway into deep business and personal insights. I thought it would be really fun and powerful to collect all these insights into a single episode. So here you're getting all the insights from all the episodes from this year, but you're also getting a preview because I am gonna share the insight from Alisa Cohn, who will be our feature guest in our next episode, And if you're really nice, at the end, I may even share the insights on what are the business jargon and the business expressions that drive me crazy. So enjoy this episode and think about which one of the people that you're hearing here, whose full episode you haven't heard yet, you want to go back and listen to. And let's get ready to go. To start us off, I'm going to have the guest of our first episode, Raj Kapoor, who shares his perspective on a classic business buzzword and why that buzzword may be a crutch. Probably synergy. It's an excuse to take two suboptimal organizations and think you're going to create something better. When in fact, a lot of success, especially in creative fields and innovation fields, are about small groups of people doing amazing things. It's about leveraging technology, which is a big lever. And so it's less about, well, if we just combined AOL and Time Warner, we could take over the world. Now let's skip to episode five and Aaron Barra, who shares an expression that is used in one-on-one interactions and then a really powerful word that is losing its power by being overused. Hmm. There's a couple. I'm really sick of hearing people say, let me unpack that. (laughs) It just, it almost, it seems like in the beginning it was meant to be 
like a moment where we could actually take some time to think about what something meant. And I, I liked that philosophically. It's like, oh, let's not jump to conclusions. <laughs> let's think about something. But now, now it's almost become this sort of like passive aggressive um, deflection of responsibility. And yeah, it, it's really bothering me when people, when people, or let me unpack that for you. Like it's, it's, it's just become condescending and passive aggressive in, in a way. And I don't like it when people say that. And there's a lot of that in academia and art, <laughs> um, which you probably is not surprising. The other thing that bothers me, especially in the the like social, I'm going to use the word justice, so, social justice work is the word justice. And I, I, I use it a lot. So if it's a powerful word, you know, uh, and I, I often use the word, the phrase technology justice because it, it riles people up, you know, and it gets people to listen in a sense. I'm just seeing it a lot now in different places where I just don't find it to be the proper use, right? Like gender justice or, you know, like in any context, people are just kind of tagging it on to the end of something to make it feel like it's a cause. Um, it's sort of like weaponizing morals in a sense, and I'm, I'm not enjoying that. In episode eight, Rand Fishkin touched upon a few and actually gave some very practical advice that everybody could take a look at as they look at their marketing practices. Gosh, I really, there's, there's so many I just like. Uh, one of the ones that actually came up this morning, someone was replying to someone on Twitter and they copied me in, was correlation is not causation. And, and I feel like lots of people like to take that quote and cut off the end of it. Because the end of it is, but it sure is a strong hint. What, how, do you, how do you logically and thoughtfully have a lot of respect for anecdotal evidence that comes from singular experiences? Like people love, you know, teardowns of, oh, here's how Amazon did X, or here's how Shopify did Y, or here's how Canva built a bajillion links. But they don't want to see aggregated, assembled data at scale with correlation numbers, statistically significant correlation numbers from thousands or millions of events. That doesn't, that makes no sense to me at all. Both of those things can have value. You don't have to rain on one parade and keep the sun shining on the other. That seems really silly to me. I also hate content is king. That's a meaningless phrase that does nothing for anyone. When I see or hear that, I tend to think that someone just found their first marketing guru on YouTube. <laughs> and uh, eh, such is the way. I don't particularly resonate with the uh, with the entire concept of link building anymore. I think it's pretty darn obvious, should be very obvious to anyone and everyone that if all you're after is Google rankings, A, that might not be the best thing in the world. Like you might want to diversify some of your marketing. And B, links are not all there is to Google. There are tons of people with very few links outranking lots of people who have many, many more. And so your whole focus on like, hey, we hired a digital marketing agency, we expect to get 50 new linking root domains per month, and we want them to be domain authority X. Oh man, you are living in 2008 SEO, my friend. Like it is, the time has passed and you need to evolve. I don't know, I don't know where you were in 2008 when SEO was like derided as this spammy thing that no one should do, but here it is 2021 and now you're practicing SEO like that? That's, that's pretty nuts to me. That's very strange. I think it's also obvious. I'm sure you know you've seen this, Dino, right? Which is Google obviously, obviously likes it when you get your brand mentioned. You don't need a link. 
Like if the New York Times writes about you and your brand, yeah, your rankings are probably going to go up and you don't need them. You don't need to reach out to them and get them to link to you. And if they do link to you, nothing is probably going to change because no intelligent deep learning system built by the world's best paid and smartest engineers at Google is going to reward all. Well, look, I mean, they, they got an actual link as opposed to just a brand mention. We, we should we should rank them higher. Get out of here. All right. And as promised, here is the preview from Alisa Cohn, episode 12. And she talks about an abuse sport metaphor. Actually, I was interviewed on the BBC about business jargon. And so like, this is like my sweet spot because I have a lot to say about business jargon. But uh, in this case, I'm going to tell you that my, the one that drives me crazy is it's a combo. People say that person has to step up. And I go, what do you mean step up? And they go, you know, step up to the plate. <laughs> I'm like, no, I just, no, you did not just explain that. Like, just so you know, that was not any more clear. I admire the intent. I understand that you're asking for more from this person. But when you tell me step up, step up to the plate, then I know that you actually don't know what you want. And you need to take 15, 20, 30 minutes to think through specifically what stepping up would look like. Because it looks like a whole bunch of different things to different people. And until you clarify that, it's just jargon, to your point. Hope you enjoyed that. And tune in in a couple of weeks for the full episode with Aliza Cohn. And now we're going to make a jump back in time to one of the early episodes, episode four, with Dave Edelman. Yeah, so <laughs> there are a few. One is let's break it into its piece parts. That's redundant. <laughs> okay, that's just, is it pieces or parts? Um, let's just break it down, all right? That's, that's one I've just heard that just linguistically drives me crazy. Another is when somebody says to you, let's put a pin in that. I feel they're dismissing you. I feel that's an arrogant thing to do, especially the way often it is delivered. It's like, well, you just said something that I think is irrelevant. Let's put a pin in that, you know, which almost seems like you're puncturing a balloon and deflating it. I, I just that just rarely goes over well when I hear it. And then another is, well, if we incent. Um, and incentive is an incentive is a noun. Um, I think incent may be a verb, but it's used in a way that to me, I, I'd rather have what's going to motivate someone, what is going to be their incentive. Incent just feels like what I try to do to get my labradoodles out the door. Um, so it, it just sounds, uh, I don't know, <laughs> too Pavlovian. So it's just not something I, I feel comfortable with when, when I hear that. It just doesn't sound human to me. And speaking of human, more recently in episode 10, Casey Jones decided not to address a cliche, but actually a social media practice that she finds disturbing. You know, it's funny because... I don't know that there's a bunch of cliches that drive me crazy. There's a couple of practices that I see lately that really bug me. And the first is the the whole idea of like publicly shaming someone because they don't do something right. Like, so there's this trend of sales leaders who like to talk about how they're super positive and really good, kind people. And then they screenshot 
sales messages that they don't like, not, not blurring out the person and publicly shaming someone because they didn't, they didn't do it in the way that they like. And I think that's absolutely disgusting. Anybody that uses their platform to shame someone else, I think is, I don't, I just think it's vile. And I will say it's like, there is one time where I took a screenshot of someone who sent me an incredibly nasty message on LinkedIn. And I was like, don't be this guy. Don't do this to people. But other than that, like we have this opportunity. And especially once you build a little bit of notoriety for yourself, we have an opportunity to lift people up. And the idea that you would use your platform to tear someone down or make them feel small or shame someone, I think is just disgusting. Um, and that that is a trend that really, really bugs me. And I really wish um, we could just all collectively be like, yeah, we're not going to do this anymore. In episode three, in an interview that actually took place almost a year ago, Rishat Tobakawala addressed two business cliches or expression that drove him crazy. One that we heard quite a lot last year. And then he also addressed a lingo combination that is unfortunately too often present in consulting and marketing. The current term that I makes me crazy is new normal. Uh, and my whole stuff is like, you, people are crazy. There is no new normal. It's called the new strange. Like there's nothing got abnormal. Okay, we're not going back to the new normal. So it you know it tends to be like one of those things. The other one that makes me really crazy is any combination of the following four or five words, which I usually put in a particular sentence. Uh, one is called platform, right? The other is called data. The third is called disruption. The fourth is called personalization, and the fifth is called cloud. And if you like connect those five. Right. I do personalization on a platform utilizing data to disrupt someone leveraging the cloud, something like that. I tell people like, okay, first of all, I don't think you'll even understand all these sentences you put together. But if you take away these, I always tell people, take away these following 10 words from the chat, the deck you just wrote. And all you'll have is and the E, that's all you'll have. You'll have all this like string of stuff. And a big part of it is I never use a lot of terms. And the reason I don't use a lot of terms is, A, maybe because I don't understand them. So I said, let's keep away from them. But I actually do understand them. But I basically talk about them in English. Obviously, sometimes I have to use a term. I can't use a term. But it's like, hey, what does it mean? What is it in English? And one of the things I've always believed is you really know something when one of two things happen. You can teach it. And if you're a good teacher, what you're doing is you're simplifying down to core concepts without dumbing them down. After this uh, conversation on jargon and the difference between dumbing it down and simplifying, I asked Rishad to go back to his definition of new normal versus new strange and to sort of explain what were the, some of the key factors that made that difference. Three factors. So what I basically say is, what is that this crisis is unlike any other crisis that I've lived through, which is 40 years. Therefore, remember, I've not been through World War II, right? Or the Great Depression or the plague. So, but the last 40 years, I've lived through MERS and SARS and 9-11 and dot-com crash and Great Recession. And the difference is that this one is a social, economic, and health crisis all occurring at the same time. Those were not. Two, 
this basically is happening globally. None of those were, including the Great Recession. Okay. Number three, this is impacting every human being, whether you're rich or you're poor. Obviously, it's hurting the poor and the disenfranchised much more. But you know, the governor of Ohio today was right. So, so, so it's affecting everybody. But the most important is when I wrote a book. When I wrote my book, my chapter on change sucks, which didn't make it into the chapter because I did a lot of research that I didn't actually write. The thing I realized is the reason why people find people difficult, people find it difficult to change, right? Among other things is you need to form a habit. And the way you form a habit is either you start or stop doing something for 60 days. All over the world, we're starting or stop doing something for 60 days, right? So in effect, we are, we are starting again versus restarting. So we have a fragile society. And let us look, for instance, at New York City. So I'll give, you know, many people are familiar with New York, and I'm a big fan of New York. So I give them the following. And this is first I should do my math, right? And people find this fascinating. So this is the true math. This is not like made up numbers. The island of Manhattan is what most people think about New York City. The island of Manhattan at two o'clock in the morning, not on a Saturday morning, but let's say on a Wednesday morning, right, has 1.1 million people living on it. However, at 1 p.m., it has 3.3 million, okay? There are 2.2 million people who come into Manhattan. Two million of those 2.2 million take a thing called the subway, okay? Which is going to be unsafe for travel for a while, which is number one. Number two, one of the reasons why New York is so special is because of the energy. The energy is partly driven by its culture, including Broadway and everything else, its restaurants, and the half a million tourists that show up every day, mostly international. All of those don't exist. So there's the energy issue, okay? And then the third one, is there are 240,000 small businesses in New York that hire 3 million people. 80,000 of them are going to go out of business in the next month. Uh, so you put all of that together and you put something else together, which is unlike 9-11, which was 20 years ago, there's something now called Zoom and 5G and broadband. And every business has learned that they can actually do business with most of their workers at home. It may not be ideal, but they don't need all their workers. And so now the key, key question that people are asking is, why do you have to justify why you are not at the office? Why shouldn't the question be, when do I have to be at the office? And once you do that, the need for space in downtown Manhattan completely collapses. Okay, explain to me how that is it anything like normal. You have an entire city that for a year will have people every 31st of the month and 30th of the month, there is a run on U-Haul trucks as people are moving out of the city. And this is going to go on for a year and you think it's going to be back to normal? And if for anybody who doesn't believe, I say do the following, Google South Korea and COVID and see what it looks like, right? It looks like a dystopian novel. And so my whole stuff is this is a failure of imagination, right? We got we 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 could we couldn't we 
it's a failure of imagination. And now it's a failure of understanding how science works. So you have all these clowns who basically believe people can go back to school. Bullshit. Right? So my whole stuff is, here's the problem. People keep talking about data. And my stuff is you don't even know how to read it. And you, if it doesn't, if it, and by the way, if the, you don't like it, you, you claim it doesn't matter. That's stupid. You can't do that with data. If data says something, you got to respect it. You can't say, I refuse to accept it. That's what we do. Oh, we're living in a data-driven age. Really? How come we're making all stupid, non-data-driven decisions when it comes to life and death? All right. We're going to keep going back. We're now going to episode two, Kathy Dyer. This is one of my favorite answers, and it's really one that made it clear to me how powerful and insightful this question could be. It makes me want to come and help. So here's the one that I just think, oh, no. So how many times have you heard an organization say our mission is to exceed our customers' expectations? Do you know what that means to me? That organization has punted on strategy. The hard work is to actually do the work to set the proper expectations and meet them. Southwest Airlines took away my boarding pass. They took away the upfront seats on the plane, but they were really clear in what they were doing. And they told me to expect all of that. They made it campy. They made it fun. They never charged me to cancel a ticket. They never hassle me. They never fight with me. So that's harder. What they're about goes through their policies. It goes through their customer experience. I know what to expect and they deliver what they tell me. So you can see the difference. The other thing, I'm just saying, you don't know who you are, what you're trying to do for someone. So I, I just think it's such a dodge. In episode six, Dr. Steve Iacovelli took a swing at a true business jargon classic. The one that I've always historically had an issue with was paradigm shift. And I, that's, I, I don't know why that's nails on a chalkboard for Steve, but but it, it really is. And I, and I think it's um, I, hey, I'm a consultant. I've been a consultant for a long time. And that just always reminds me of one of those insincere consultancy things to say that really has no teeth or no meaning to it. Like, hey, we need a paradigm shift. And like, oh, gosh, <laughs> what do you really mean by that? There are expressions that we use in our day-to-day -day language that sometimes have a deeper meaning that we may not even be aware of when we use them. And I love that in episode nine, Marcel Quiroga took a look at one of these expressions and actually had a lot of insightful thoughts about it. One that comes to mind is the phrase, I'm all set. I'm all set. Like, what does I'm all set mean? You're all set because you didn't, uh, you don't even know what I'm going to say. You know, if you ask somebody, um, just hypothetically speaking, you could ask somebody for a meeting, you know, to tell them what you do. And they're like, I'm all set. I'd rather somebody say, I'm not interested. I don't have time. I'm not open to new ideas. I know they're not going to go that far, but all set just means I'm not open to listening. I'm not, um, I think I have all the answers. Um, it, it, to me, it's a reflection of closed mindedness. And so I try to stay away from that phrase. Um, I also think, uh, it's something that I don't like because it's a reflection of comfort. 
And I'm all for comfort, but I'm not all for getting too comfortable where we are. Um, I have said it throughout our conversation. I always think we can improve. I strongly believe in learning from others. And oftentimes that means hearing a new idea. It also means hearing things we don't like. You know, it's, it's not easy to hear someone say, you know, this decision that you made probably led you to this outcome that you weren't happy with. And it's also not easy to hear constructive criticism, but it's so important for growth. You know, if everybody just tells us how great we are all the time, we might actually believe it. And yes, we may be good, but we can always be better. And last, but certainly not least, in episode 11, which was published a couple of weeks ago, my good friend Armin Mulavi started from a term that is used in marketing and actually used it to expand on a series of behavior that have now become common among us. And I found it really insightful. (laughs) So for me, the phrase is real time. You know, I think the genesis of real time, right, in the corporate conversation is, you know, real time decisioning, real time, pla- you know, platform decisions on paid search or whatever algorithm or Watson is going to make decisions for you in real time, etc. First of all, nothing is real time. If I wanted to be a real jerk about the situation, right, like you can always be faster. Right. So there is no real true sense of real time. But if I'm you know, moving away from just being a childish jerk about the topic. Um, you know, I think that like it's created this fake sense of security for people, right? Like when, you know, media companies show up and they say to the CMO, like, oh, we're going to be making these decisions in real time as if the real time notion is going to make the decisions better, right? Like the decisioning be- is, is good because of the thought behind it, the algorithm behind it, whatever it may be. The real time nature of it has nothing to do with the quality of the decision. And, and keep in mind, right? Like I had... million in media at Hilton. I had $7 billion revenue in, you know, in the US. These are all public numbers, so it's okay, right? We were making lots of decisions in arguably quote unquote real time. It's not about the real time notion. It's about the thought process behind it. And the reason why this phrase really bothers me is because it has extended into the way we work. It has extended into the way we think. We all have gotten that text message from someone that says, hey, did you get my email? Yeah, I got your email. I just haven't prioritized your email to respond to it. You don't know the 12 things that I'm dealing with right now. And by the way, even if your email was the most important thing, I still want time to think Right. Like I was in a meeting once and it's like 20 people and a client asked me a question and I was like, oh, that's a really great question. And I just sat there for a second and people got nervous and they were like, what's wrong? I was like, nothing. I'm just thinking like, why can't I think, (laughs) you know, and I think it's just sad that we've gotten to this place and now it's like spread to like personal lives. Dino, did you get my text message? Yes, I got your text message. Like, I don't know what to tell you, Armin, right? Like, I'm feeding the kids. I'm doing this. I'm in the bathroom. hundred million things could be going on and people are upset that Dino hasn't replied to my text message. It's just not good. All right. And with that, we have come to the end of the episode. You have heard all of the business expressions, cliches that drive the guests that have appeared on the show so far crazy. So as promised, Here's one expression that drives me crazy. It is the word hack and the way that these days it is very fashionably attached 
to a lot of other expressions, specifically, for instance, a growth hack. Now, a hack is a short-term solution and is something that every once in a while it can be helped. But if you're building your whole strategy on hacks, you're really not going very far. And I don't think it's a coincidence that when we want to indicate somebody who is not very thoughtful and who may be causing more damages than actually solving problems, we call them a hack. With that, the episode is truly over. Thank you for listening. And I hope that all these great ideas inspire you to go and check out some of the episodes that you haven't heard yet. As usual, if you like the show, write a review, tell a friend, tell a bunch of friends, actually post about the show in social media, or, you know, at a minimum, follow me on social media. You can find me on every platform. Uh, Twitter and Instagram is at AL4EDP. And on Facebook, Authentic Leadership for Everyday People. The website is al4ep.com. And you can also reach me by email at dino at al4ep.com. This episode was produced, edited, and recorded by me, Dino Cattaneo. The show's musical theme was written, produced, and arranged by Nicolas Cattani, who also played keyboards and drums, with guitar by Tony Savarino and bass by Jesse Williams. As usual, I'm going to leave you with a song by my wife, Susan Cattani, one of the best Americana singer-songwriters in Boston. Given that today it's the 4th of July, I'm going to leave you with a song, which is a little story that takes place on the 4th of July. It's called Watching the Sparks Fly. Enjoy.
Star shooting by, watching the spark. 